Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 and AM 930. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but a photographer of over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you can say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing, illustrating, and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book that I published about the cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as the program, What the Cross Means to Me by Harvest House Publishing. Each week, we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the Word of God. This week's essay is Back to the Cross by Sherwood E. Witt. Dr. Sherwood Elliot Wirt is the founding editor of Decision Magazine who later launched the San Diego Christian Writers a longtime associate of Billy Graham, Woody, as he was called, served as a chaplain in the U.S. Air Force, later earning a doctorate degree in theology and psychology, which he put to good use as a church pastor. In addition to the gospel, Dr. Wirt loved newspapers. Serving as a journalist for the San Francisco Examiner and the Juno Daily Press, Dr. Wirt joined the Billy Graham team after writing a book about the evangelists' 1958 crusade in San Francisco. At Graham's direction, Wirt served as founding editor of Decision Magazine, which was launched in the 1960s, a magazine that I am grateful to report utilized one of my cross images on its cover. And it just so happens to be the power, an image which is also the image accompanying this essay. Wirt guided the magazine as it reached a circulation of four million. In that role, Wirt traveled with Graham extensively over, over two decades, eventually penning Billy, a personal look at Billy Graham, one of 42 books he authored. His, book, his books have been translated into eight languages. His books included the best-selling The Book of Joy, A Treasury of Delights in God, Not Me, God, Love Song, Augustine's Confession for the Modern Man, and For the Love of Mike, the Mike, well, the Michael McIntosh story, a paper book on the life of the senior pastor of Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego. The only other connection is to say that I attended 
a Billy Graham crusade in San Jose, and Dr. Wirt was there that day. But let's start the essay that Dr. Wirt wrote and originally submitted for this book. The essay is called Back to the Cross. The essay begins, As a young man, I knew what I wanted in life, but what chance was there for me? I knew the answer. None, whatever. I had heard about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, but how could that possibly affect my personal goals or plans for attaining them? I failed to see. Two questions, no answers, no achievements, no hope. Then there came a time when God told me what to do with my life. He told me that because of the cross of Christ, I belonged to him. So I believed, took him at his word, and life began to glow. But as many a sincere new believer has also learned, new trials come with time. I became faced with bitter disappointment until I wished I was dead. One day, I heard a preacher say I would have to deal with my problems. Of course, he did not know what they were, but he pointed me back to the cross of Jesus and told me what to do. He didn't urge me to carry the cross. He simply quoted Galatians 2.20 and added, Get on it. On my knees, I did just that, while hands were laid on me. Thus, once again, I saw the Savior's blood shed for me. But a few days later, I became aware that all my bitterness had vanished, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Hallelujah! It sounds unreal, but ever since that day, life for this non-agenarian has been love, joy, and peace. That ends the essay, Back to the Cross, as written by Dr. Sher Wirt and submitted for the book, What the Cross Means to Me. Now the photo accompanying this essay, as I mentioned earlier, was one time on the cover of Dr. Wirt's magazine, Decision. This image is called The Power, which is one of the most dramatic and impactful images of the entire cross collection. It is a night shot, and it has the illuminated cross in front of a lightning strike. Many viewers of this image want to assume <laughs> that I photoshopped it. They, they can't seem to believe that it was not photoshopped. I informed them that I was shooting film that night, and the lightning is on the negative. And where the cross is located, thunderstorms are incredibly rare. And to have a storm like this happens once or twice per decade. I was actually busy that night, but when I heard the news on the radio to stay indoors, and I heard the announcer comment that they're expecting 300 strikes per hour, I dropped everything and headed back to the cross. I had 30 shots left on a roll of 36. I set the camera on a tripod as low as it would go, set it up for a four-second shot from a 10-second delay, meaning I had 10 seconds after pressing the trigger to run to position myself in front of the cross with my handheld flash 
and when I heard the shutter open, I popped the flash and hoped that within the four seconds, lightning would strike. Of the 30 shots, I got two lightning images. One is titled The Touch, and the other accompanying this essay is titled The Power. At the beginning of this essay, Sherwood mentions that early on he knew what he wanted, but felt hopeless to attain it, and did not see how Jesus, or the sacrifice Jesus made, could play a part in his personal goals and aspirations. Personally, I never really thought in those terms as a young adult, or even as a teenager, maybe because I didn't know what Sherwood wanted, and moving out of high school, I did not know what I wanted. (laughs) The narrative in Sherwood's essay turns as he felt God say to Sherwood that he belonged to, to him, to God, that Sherwood belonged to God. From how I hear his telling, his sins were forgiven, and as he put it, his life began to glow. To receive the gift of salvation is an amazing thing. It is a mind-blowing, life-changing, life-course-altering, beautiful event. And when one becomes born again, the perceptions of the world are irrevocably changed. However, that does not mean your life is all rainbows and lollipops. In many episodes of this devotional series, I talk about my mother, who was a heroin addict. She wasn't a very good cook before she asked Jesus into her life and became born again. And guess what? She wasn't a great cook after either. So while it is an eternal change in your spiritual life, You still have to live life here on this plane, on this side of the kingdom. And when my mom said the sinner's prayer, she was not only saved, but she was changed. She was. Her addiction to heroin, smoking, and cursing was cured that day. No no detox or methadone or nicotine patches, no anger management issues. However... She was still a single mom without her kid. I was taken from her by the state. And while I was in the foster home system, she, at 20 years old with no high school diploma, job, or place to live, had to make the arduous journey of making a new life. With God's help, of course. But I think that's what Sherwood is saying. But at this point... As the Apostle Paul tells us, when we are born again, we are babies in Christ. And while, yes, it is great to get outside of the womb and to experience a new and wondrous world, it is also filled with cold, constant hunger, well, often hungry, and pain, lots of pain. And while my mom was a woman of God ever since her sinner's prayer, from what I heard and saw, she was somewhat still immature and overly zealous in sharing the gospel of Christ while she was living it. I recall two things that accelerated her maturity, and that is when the state gave me back to her and when my father was released to prison. Now she did not have the luxury of transitioning from spiritual milk to biblical meat in her own time, now she 
had a necessity developed to grow in a firm faith and deeper intercessory prayer habit and fellowship with God, all of which strengthened were strengthened by the nourishment of biblical meat. In other words, she went from being single and alone to having her son, her son back and her ex-husband back, both of which needed lots of care, nurturing, nurturing and uh, prayers to be prayed for. Now, Sherwood, Dr. Sherwood, in his essay, did not go into detail, but it sounds like he experienced many trials and tribulations as a young child of God. And it was when he went deeper in spiritual truths that led to a deeper level of acceptance, which led him into a joyful and fruitful phase of his spiritual journey. What I'd like to reiterate, and something all Christians need to hear, the story of Sherwood and the story of my mom reminds us of the allegory of the Hebrews after leaving Egypt, wandering the desert for 40 years before being allowed to cross over to the promised land. God had a purpose in the desert experience to help prune and purge out the stinking thinking and the idol worship mentality and the Adamic nature of the Egyptian Egypt experience. And moreover, for us to be fruitful Christians, we need to go through the milk drinking infant stage, then the eating of meat child phase. Then after our time in the desert of life, we can enter past spiritual adolescence into a fruit bearing adulthood, like the Hebrews entering into the land of milk and honey and being able to enjoy the fruit of the land. And it's sort of like what I observe in my gardening hobby, getting a seed to pop in my little container and then taking the little seedling out to the outside soil and getting it to take and to stay alive is a critical phase. Meaning when I Put it in the grow bed. There are critters above that like to taste on its appendages while the microorganism mix below threaten the roots. And of course, there are the elements, the cold nights of early spring, and the scorching heat of the late spring. But eventually, after months of waiting and growing through the summer heat, the plant finally brings forth fruit. Now, of most of the plants that I observe that I like to garden at home, is if you water it too much, you get lots of leaves and no fruit. You, you almost kill its capabilities with kindness. However, in the heat of the summer, if I hold back water on purpose, the propagative nature kicks in and fruit with its seeds emerge. I stress all this to say that just being Christians, life is not and should not be free of stress and pain. The stresses of life are there to help us produce fruit. However, it changes how we deal with the trials of life. Dr. Sherwood said after the laying on of hands prayer of acceptance, he found that all his bitterness vanished. I can relate. As my prayer of accept acceptance freed me from the conscious, or most of it unconscious, bitterness towards my mom and 
you know, her part in allowing the abuse of my early childhood to happen. For me, the blessing of being born again frees our hearts and minds to be, as Dr. Sherwood put it, full of joy, love, and peace. That said, the transition of being fruitful involves the maturity of study, biblical literacy, commitment to fellowship, and deeper meditation, especially on the meaning of the cross, for mankind in general, and especially for each of us individually. This is the theme of this devotional, to go back to the cross as we die to ourselves daily. To cling to the cross as we start that day's journey of carrying our cross, the good news of the gospel is we do not need to carry it under our own power. Actually, his burden is light. If, of course, you are in Christ, then he is in you. As we discussed in our last devotional on the old rugged cross, Reverend Bernard said that at one point he could not see the cross and the Christ inseparable. Therefore, if you cling to the cross, then Jesus is with you in that day's walk through the cares of the day. As the cliché points out, a journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. So when you're carrying your cross, one must have a starting place. And in my humble opinion, it, be, it began, it begins meditatively at the foot of the cross. Yes, right there with the two thieves, both Mary's and his most intimate disciple, John. What lessons for ourselves can we learn there? What lessons of obedience, submission, and sacrifice can we learn from Jesus? What can we learn from the juxtaposition of the two thieves ahead interacting with the people in our life later that day? What can we learn from Jesus asking John to care for Mary and for Mary to care for John? What can we learn from the deeper meaning when Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, or when he cries, I thirst, or utters, it is finished. But again, what is so special about this place at the foot of the cross? Well, I had two major experiences giving me very unique perspectives. One is that as a young adult, our church had an Easter reenactment complete with sheep and a camel and a cast of hundreds. My role was the good thief. And it involved resisting, yes, really resisting. From a three-day performance, I had many bruises that took a while to heal. I really resisted while they forced me on the cross. They tied my hands and lifted me about 25 feet in the air. And looking out at the crowd and Jesus to my right, to see the scene from the other direction was so surreal. A major takeaway for me was not just the crowd at the foot of the cross, but all the people in their seats that seemed to go on forever and ever. And looking down on so many people, so many in need of salvation, redemption, and healing. And yet Jesus was focused, reminding us in the exchange with John and his mother Mary, to care for each other as his family, to be in his family. Another one is that while I was shooting the cross, I was only a year out 
of being a widower, and life had its trials and tribulations. But going up there to focus on the spirit of the cross, it allowed the spirit to focus on me. Looking down at me, I found myself again back at the foot of the cross. During those days, that was the only place I wanted to be. Sure, I could pray anywhere, and literally bringing my pain and confusion literally to the foot of the cross, a real white 12-foot cross, made a tangible and undescribable difference. It created a habit, a tradition, a routine that surpassed those years up there shooting at the cross. Meaning, I find it does not take too much imagination now, 20 years later, to see myself at the foot of the cross in my prayer life. And I find it very helpful and, to me, critical. And if supposing it can be for you as well. Why? Because I believe the cross is the bridge, the salvation, and the power of God. Yes, just like the image accompanying this essay. God's power seen in the lightning strike seen on Good Friday. Yes, the bridge where God meets us, like the good thief, and takes us across the bridge to paradise. And yes, the sacrificial impetus of our salvation. But it is much more. It is to me the safest place in the entire universe to be. Why? Well, in my mind, two analogies open up. One is the Passover, and the other is inside a firebreak. In the story of Passover, Moses announced the final plague, the angel of death. And to the Hebrews, he instructed them to sacrifice a perfect lamb, a lamb without any blemishes or substandard characteristics, and to point the and to paint the entry frame of the home with the lamb's blood on the top and on each side. Each of these blood-blessed home, the frames of these homes, were passed over, meaning as the, the angel of death passed through, when that angel of death saw a home that had the blood on that frame of the home, he would pass over. Now, I don't believe in coincidences, but I do agree with one of Webster's dictionary definitions that a coincidence is an act of God. So I am amazed that the procedure of protection for each Hebrew home with the paint was actually painting the form of a cross. Is the door of your heart blessed with the blood of Christ? That is what returning to the foot of the cross is all about. If you invite Christ into the home of your heart and life, you will be in the safest place because the blood of Christ protects as it saves. The other analogy is when there is a a consuming fire heading your way. If you find yourself out in nature and a fire is coming, the safest place to be is inside of a fire break. If you can find a way to light a fire and burn a large circle around yourself, a back break, when the fire arrives, it will be intense, but it will pass around you. Why is this relevant to the cross? Well, the writer of Hebrews declared, Jesus sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Hebrews 7.27 Later, he said, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10.10 And more direct for this analogy, he wrote in Hebrews 13.12 
So Jesus also suffered on Golgotha in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. What was done and accomplished on the cross was a once for all, perfectly planned, perfectly executed, perfectly accomplished work of grace. Yes, the wages of sin is death, like the death angel coming to claim your soul. But like the wild grass fire, it won't touch us. It won't touch you because the fire cannot pass where fire has already passed. Punishment and wages for sin cannot pass where it has already been compensated for, where our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. Like a burned over patch of soil that becomes the safest place in a wildfire, the blood-soaked soil at the foot of the cross is our most safe and secure place in the world of wildfires, the wildfires of our life, and the wildfire fire of the afterlife. There is a hymn, I recall, where the writer described it well in Calvary's Love. Jesus, man of sorrows, Jesus, Prince of Peace, on the cross he suffered for our sin's release, bearing all our burdens, sharing all our pain, covering all, covering all, covering all the world with grace. If you consider yourself a Christian but feel like you ventured outside the shadow of the cross and the shadow of God's wing, then I encourage you to make the regenerative choice to return to the blood-soaked soil at the foot of the cross and, again, ask Christ to be in you, in your heart today. Not just a passing prayer, but I encourage you to carve out some time, seated, with eyes closed, and actually visualize yourself at the cross. Consider all that the Bible says is there, and then join the good thief and ask to be in the paradise of Jesus' heart and for him to come into you today. And if you have never felt the sweet spirit of redemption and cleansing through Jesus, then simply ask him. It could be something as simple as the prayer my heroin-addicted mom prayed when she said, God, if you are real, then change me. Or as the thief asked, Jesus, I deserve the consequences of my sin, but please remember me in the paradise of your mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And then every morning, ask Jesus to come in you, and if you can be in him, so you'll go through the twists and turns of the day together. It starts with that first heartfelt request. Tell Jesus that you accept the blood of his sacrifice and ask him to save and redeem you today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like today's image, The Power, then check out Magi Cross on Instagram. And if your church or youth group or school would like to learn how to fundraise through the Magi Cross products, or read further regarding musings of the cross on my Magi blog, then simply log in to magicross.com. That is... M-A-J-I-C-R-O-S-S dot com.